You're listening to The Love Yeg Show. If our city could talk, these are the stories it would tell about the people, places, and passion in Edmonton. We interview difference makers in our community. Please welcome your hosts, Sherry Beauchamp and Jesse McCracken. Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Love Yeg Show. My name is Sherry Beauchamp, and I am here with my co-host, Jesse McCracken. Hello, everybody. And we have a very, very awesome guest today, um, pretty timely with what's kind of going on in the world. We have with us James Stewart. Hi there. Thanks for having me. Now, James, we met you, we just figured out in you know March of this year you operate or are the founder of Be Supporting Youth Foundation and it's all about kids helping kids. I thought it was a really cool initiative and obviously we'll get into it. That's the one thing I love about this is there's so many people doing good things out there and we love to kind of share what you guys are doing because maybe some guys if someone's never heard of you how would you kind of explain what you guys do? Sure. Um, so what we do is we offer a free field trip to um, students in the Edmonton area each Tuesday of the school year. So essentially what they do is they're picked up by a bus, they're taken to Millhurst Community Hall, and they um, work with our volunteers to put together um, lunches, uh, healthy lunches for uh, students at schools, mostly now in, in South Edmonton. Um, so essentially, it's we're driven by student volunteers, um, which is where the Kids Helping Kids um, motto comes in. So we're offering kids opportunity to um, kind of take action in their community and to help one another out and building a sense of community in them, um, looking at how to make a healthy lunch and then looking at the amount of effort that they put into that and then they get to go and deliver these lunches to different schools, to the offices, and they're always met by, um, you know, a, a lot of uh, a lot of grateful administrators and teachers at the front door. It's amazing. Awesome. On so many levels. I mean, one, teaching kids about nutrition, but also just about giving back at a, a young age to their peers, you know, and I think that's really special. Yeah, well, that was one of the, um, the, the benefits that we hadn't really sort of initially thought of, but the idea, like, you're... You're offering kids opportunity, like planting a seed in them about the importance of, of community and the importance of thinking outside yourself and the importance of being able to give back. And, and I think a lot of times kids are undervalued in that way because just the way that the education system is structured and our society is structured, you know, they're there to learn um, from adults. So there's sort of like a top-down method of you do this thing. Um, and then you become like me as opposed to, you know, giving them a lot more, I guess, agency and, 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 and ability to kind of um, um, go out and make a difference on their own, which reflects back in, in inwards in themselves as well, feeling proud about what they're doing. Um, and then that, again, plants the seed of that possibility of like, wow, this feels amazing to go out and help people in need. And, and um, the hundreds and hundreds of kids that we've worked with over the years since we started in 2012, I mean, you know, even if we have a hundred of them that at some point after the fact kind of keep that seed and that, let that grow inside them and, and go out and, you know, start volunteering at some point, I think then we've had a great success as well. Totally. Totally. Definitely. You're, you're talking our talk for sure. Yeah. Well, it's that feeling, right? I mean, in adults, I think that, um, you know, what we share and have talked about this all the time is how much we're learning from kids right now, you know, and if they're giving back and telling their friends how good it feels to give back, they just want more of it. And if they're starting at a young age, it's amazing what they can accomplish because I think that in, in my family anyways, we, we never really, you know, we didn't volunteer, you know, I didn't volunteer until, until being an adult. And now it's just amazing how addicting it is and how much you, you want to give back. So as a kid, if I had that opportunity, I, you know, you think about how much more you could have done. Yeah, I, and I like I, I recall having like when I was in school, 
um, there were volunteer opportunities, but it seemed kind of like a punishment almost. Well, yeah, like you it, had it, to do it. It kind of was like it was voluntoldism. And I mean, yeah. like the the goal, one of, like our, our volunteers, our adult volunteers who meet kids at the hall are com utterly amazing. Um, they're so passionate about what they're doing. Um, and they pass that on to the kids as well. So they're, they're tremendously welcoming and, and they're working in partnership as opposed to, again, that kind of top-down, more condescending, which may be a little bit of a strong word, but um, that's kind of generally the, the uh, um, relationship that adults have with kids. But they're, they're really good about, um, you know, working in partnership with kids. In the beginning, was this the kids' idea? Did they come up with this? This started in a grade five class, is that right? Yeah, that's right. So um, it it was a combination of uh, a couple of things kind of coming together. So in 2012, when when we started things out, um, I had been going to a restaurant off White called Bee's Diner, which was run by Brenda Dare, and she was talking about trying to um, get into schools and, and feed kids who were in need. And at that point, too, she had shut her restaurant down every Tuesday and opened it up to homeless uh, folks and people in need around White Ave area that could just walk in for a free meal, hot coffee, that kind of a thing. And she was trying to adapt that model into uh, schools for kids. Um, so I presented that to my, my grade five class and said, look, this is an amazing story of someone in our society, in our, in our community, who's trying to get out and make a difference, but she's having difficulties or something we can do to help her. Um, and coincidentally, at that time, there was uh, some money that trickled down from Alberta Education as part of like a school improvement fund. Mm -hmm. uh, and we were able to take some of that money and put that towards the project. So we, we looked at, you know, in, in discussion with the kids, we kind of pulled ideas out and came up with the idea of, of uh, a bag lunch program. So basically... It's a brown bag with a lunch in it, no names on it, because we discussed, like, is this a thing that we should write kids' names on? Like, how would you feel if someone walked into your classroom and you weren't able to have food that day for whatever reason? How would you feel if someone you didn't know just walked in front of everybody else in the class and handed you, a, like, a lunch and said, here you go, you know, um, bon appetit, right? Like, it, it doesn't, like, we're, we, we talked about the idea of dignity, um, and how kids, they themselves would feel uncomfortable if that happened. So we developed the model kind of based around a lot of reflection and a lot of um, kind of uh, thinking empathetically and, and trying to put yourself in the shoes of someone who's unable to come to school and, and be hungry. And then we also talked about the idea of like when you are hungry in school, like how does that impact your ability to be in Learn. class and like be a member of a community in this classroom, right? Like you know, if you miss breakfast, that means you haven't eaten since dinner, if you ate dinner. And like, are you able to concentrate? You're, you're tired, you're grumpy. The last thing you want to do is sit in the desk for eight hours and, and you know, absorb math facts, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, we kind of really dug into it that way and then came up with this, um, the kind of the meat and potatoes of it. And then with the money that we got, we were able to secure some busing. So once a month, we were able to take um, a small group of grade five kids. So over the course of the year, everyone got to go and, and participate in this program that they developed. They got on the bus, and then we actually ended up using, for the first couple of years, we were using um, Bees Diner itself on, on Tuesdays, because that's mm -hmm. when Brenda would shut down. Uh, we would go there make lunches and a lot of the, the, the uh, food that we got at that point was donated. So we were kind of using what we could. And then for the first couple of years again there, we would drop off. I think we had two or three different schools that we were kind of piloting it with. And then the idea was to sort of look at and reflect on what's working, what's not working. How do we expand this? Is this something that we can turn into a field trip for other kids so that other kids can experience this? Um, and so it sort of grew over the next few years. And then in 2014, um, I was introduced to Gloria Spooner, who's our, our treasurer, and then Colin Poles, who was another teacher in the public school board, who became our vice president. And then collectively, we kind of were able to hunker down and, and register as a charity. And then we ended up getting more board members. And then we ended up getting more funding so and things kind of snowballed that way and and telling our story along the way of like the the fact that kids are involved in the process and mm -hmm. kids are essential to the process and without the kids then like our our whole thing just doesn't work 
Um, that was really attractive for, for funders. And I think that's what makes us unique in Edmonton as well, because there are a lot of amazing programs here like E4C and they're doing all of these amazing things um, and they're, you know, really well organized and they're feeding a lot of kids as well. You know, with us, we're trying to get kids to get involved in, in, in kind of um, seeing the, the making of the food aspect of it. Um, and then the other thing um, that we also concentrated on from the get-go was looking at which schools we should be trying to um, support um, because there's, there's um, a lot of support. I mean, there's never enough, I should say, but there's the bulk of the support for schools in this area was always in the quote-unquote inner-city schools. But in each community, in every school, there's always going to be, you know, a family that will benefit from, you know, from getting lunches for their kids. So some of the schools that we were helping out would take as little as three or six lunches a week, and then some of them would take 70. So it kind of varied, and we were lucky that we were able to kind of go to these, uh, uh, these, I guess, schools on the outlying area from the inner city. Hmm. So <clears throat> how many meals do you guys give out a week? Uh, it, it kind of fluctuates. It depends on needs of the school. So we're in touch with them and um, their numbers may go up or down depending on, on their need. But uh, weekly, so it sort of varies. Um, between, I would say, averaging over the last four years or so, it would be between three and 400 lunches a week. Wow. And these kids, and how many volunteers do you have a week? So, like the, well, we've got our core group of about um, six to eight adult volunteers who um, help set up the hall and kind of work with the kids. And generally, we have groups of kids that vary between eight and 10. Nice. Yeah, and they're from, um, I think, the youngest. I think we had a group of kindergarten kids come out once with uh, some junior high students, and they kind of buddied up and, and went through the process. But generally, we have uh, elementary up to high school, so it's offered to kids, students at all levels. That's awesome. How many uh, bagged lunches do you, do you think you guys made, you know, since 2012? I guess it would be eight years now. Uh, ooh, that's a good question. So, um, in the 2018-2019 school year, I know the number was just under 10,000 for that year. Mm. So, I would venture to guess, that's a good question. I hesitate to say it's hovering, well, I, I think a, a safe bet would be like about 50,000. Wow. That's amazing. And I love that the kids had their hands in making those. And that's just something that they get to be proud of, you know? And what yeah. do you guys put in the lunches as far as like nutrition? So like, how does that start? Does that conversation with the volunteers talk about like what you need in, in a, in a healthy meal? And then it kind of evolves from there. And do they have um, a choice of what goes in the lunches? Like, a, uh, do they get to participate in what's going in there? Uh, yeah. So we actually, a few years back, consulted with a, um, a registered nurse, um, well, a dietitian, dietitian and, yeah. and, and uh, she advised us based on our budget and based on current research, like what is the best thing that we can be providing for these kids. Um, and the students are involved in the process from the beginning once they get there. So they're the ones that um, there's an assembly line of students um, who put sandwiches together. So the sandwiches are whole wheat bread. Um, then there's an option of either vegetarian or um, like lean turkey breast and um, lettuce and a bit of mayonnaise in a sandwich. And then they get a fresh piece of fruit, a cheese string and a granola bar. And yeah. we used to, um, for the first few years, we were also providing juice boxes, but then looking at the sugar content of a juice box, it, uh, it kind of seemed a little bit counter to what we were, we were trying to provide. Um, you know, it, so we consulted with some of the schools and asked them, like, do you think that, um, you know, would it be okay if we trialed not putting in juice boxes and kids just, you know, ran to the water fountain and everyone was fine with that. And we've had some positive feedback about not having the juice boxes in as well, because it's just ultimately uh, healthier. Sugar. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Where do you guys get your funding from? We have um, a few different areas where we're able to get funding. So the bulk of it is definitely from grants. 
So there are a variety of grants that we've applied for over the years and um, have reapplied for, because oftentimes when you develop a uh, relationship with the granting committee uh, at an organization, you're able to kind of reapply. So that's the bulk of where our funding comes from. We also get donations and we've got monthly donors. So that's an option. So through Canada Helps, there's a, a button on our website um, that we often direct people towards to who are interested in donating. It's an easy thing to do through Canada Helps. You can set it up as a one-time donation or like a monthly kind of donation. Mm -hmm. And the way that we've kind of pitched it to people is it's, I might have my numbers wrong here, so I shouldn't maybe be... I should clarify that, but the last time I, I pitched this, one lunch cost about, uh, it was about $4. So if you consider, you know, your donation, so if you want to donate one lunch a month, you can put in $4 a month and have that with, withdrawn from your account. Your Canada helps. So yeah, that's the bulk of it really is coming from grants and then uh, donations. So if you guys are feeding roughly 11,000 kids a year, based on your previous numbers, times four bucks per that you know you're looking at significant funding that you guys go through in a year yeah so our our yearly operational budget is it's it's hovering around there it's around 40 grand and that also like this is all volunteer based so nobody's mm. nobody's getting a, um, a salary or stipend from this um, all of the donations all the money that we get in goes directly into um, feeding kids and transporting kids. So um, we've been really lucky working with uh, Bob's Busing in Edmonton. Um, they've given us a generous discount on a weekly um, bus trip for, for kids and they've actually helped us quite a bit when you've been a couple times we've been in a bit of a lurch and they've actually their drivers have gone and dropped off for us a couple times too so. Very nice, very nice. What um, happens in the summertime? So do you guys still provide lunches over the, the summer months or over Christmas holidays, or is it just when kids are in school? Uh, it's uh, logistically, it's, uh, yeah, we're, 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 we operate from first week of October till the last week of uh, school in June. And we don't drop off over uh, Christmas just because our, or in the summertime, because our hub, that our, like our drop-off yeah, yeah. spot is the schools and they're closed during those times. Yeah. And also, I should say too, we need student volunteers to do the work who of are course. not available through their schools during those periods too. Yeah. yeah. So um, as everyone knows, it's obviously not been your typical school year last year and then going into this year. So what does that look like for you guys? You know, did you have to pause what you guys were doing and then now you're going to restart up again in October, everything, all things considered? So yes, that's a fine question. And that's something that we're, we're currently um, hashing out um, yeah. on, our, on our board. Um, yeah, like the, uh, the shutdown of schools in mid-March last school year was definitely mm -hmm. you know I mean there were no kids at the school to receive lunches and there were none to make them totally yeah totally um so that was really we we basically had to put a pin in it until we could figure out you know um, how things were going to look moving forward for schools and what school mandates and policies were going to be coming back into the school year this year um we have a challenge because with uh, the Edmonton Public School District, and I can't speak for the Catholic one, but I'm sure that their policies are similar. Um, they're putting a pause in any field trips for kids that would require busing. So again, we're like our, our workforce, our volunteer force has been cut off. So what we're looking at uh, possibly doing, and we're still kind of hashing out the details of this, is using our uh, leveraging our, our adult volunteers to um, kind of um, just do drop-offs, but rather, and then there's also the question too of um, what sorts of food, if any, donation-wise would be, are, you know, are acceptable into schools. I mean, obviously right. they, at the very least, they would need to be prepackaged, so we wouldn't be making fresh sandwiches. Um, so one of the ideas that came up from at our board meeting was to sort of uh, create a, a menu of possible items that we could put funding into and um, so, so schools could potentially 
order from this menu and then weekly we could go and drop them off as like prepackaged like cup, cup of noodles or something like that right i mean i don't know how healthy those are but or like the little packaged soups and that kind of stuff yeah we we hadn't actually um that's a good point we hadn't actually considered packaged soups but we were definitely looking into things like a box of granola bars that is sealed you know the box itself and then the granola bar individual ones are obviously sealed as well so something like that possibly you can also get prepackaged apples that are sliced you can get prepackaged carrots that have been kind of cut up as well so little healthy mm -hmm. snacks like that unfortunately that means more packaging which is a little bit heartbreaking but um you need to make <laughs> well that was actually my next question right? because so, of what you what you teach right which is environmental and so i'm sure that yeah. the packaging is is i mean as i think all of us are feeling this with all of the delivery and the masks like I'm losing my mind about the packaging. It's just really hard to be okay with how much is is being put out there right now. You know, I know that we need to be a little bit safer, but we also need to be extra mindful because of it. Yeah, the the like I I I struggle with that too, oh. definitely. And I mean, I guess there needs to be a balance between health and safety, which is everyone's primary concern, um, and and then the you know the impact on on. Uh, the environment, which is not as much of a concern for, well, for better or for worse. In an ideal world, we would be able to provide them with, you know, reusable packaging that they could get back to us somehow. And then we would, you know, clean it and reuse it and reduce our our impact in the landfills that way. But that's, uh, that's actually been something that's come up at our board meetings in the past. Like, is there something that we can use other than um, sandwich bags, which are one-time use and you know, only 9% of plastic on the planet ever gets recycled. So chances are this is going to end up somewhere where when I was young, I was promised it wouldn't. So that's kind of an ongoing thing, but you know, it's with, it's a problem, but then we can look at it as like an opportunity to kind of try and do things better, which is what we should all be doing anyways. Yeah. So how did this um, come to, like, whose idea was it to, to start creating the meals and how did you become like kind of the, the forefront of it? Um, I think it's like, like I said, uh, my, was my well, the, the rest, the restaurant. Yeah. But it was yeah. like, was it something you'd always kind of had in your, in your mind that you wanted to create something like this as a teacher where you saw the bit of a void or? Well, um, I wouldn't say that it was something that had always been on my, like on the back burner of my mind simmering away as something that I wanted to do, but it just seemed as though these, uh, I guess these elements kind of came together um, and it made it seem like an obvious thing that I should do. And I became passionate about it because it's right here in front of me, you know, mm -hmm. they're, they're, you're like to not do it kind of would have been silly just because of the, potential for the good that it could do for for the kids and the community and for all the volunteers in the walls yeah because i think it's like an easy thing to be like okay we're going to do this once or we're going to do it for the school year but then to like take it and commit yourself to like driving this forward i mean that takes you know a special person that has is giving up a lot of their time but also you know seeing the the benefit of it so you know, to take it from like a, a school project or a classroom project into what it is now is is pretty admirable. Thanks, and and I should say that it's definitely not just me. Um, of course, the, yeah. Like I, I, mentioned, <laughs> I mentioned Gloria earlier, um, and she has basically like uh, made it her full time job to make sure that things are running like super smoothly. She waded through bureaucracies um, since 2014 to kind of bring us to where we are now. So, um, and our other volunteers and our board members too. So um, at the moment, I feel like I, I compared to, you know, the other volunteers and, and, and the kids, um, like I've kind of done my thing and now it's its own kind of entity, which I think is a, um, something to be really happy about because it means it's successful. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. What uh, what do you guys, what do you see for the future of it? Is it just kind of more the same, or is it? I know at one point you were talking about maybe bigger venue, more students involved, that kind of thing. Right. So um, the idea of expanding has, has always been discussed. We looked at a couple of different models for expanding um, over the last few years. Um, 
even if it was simply providing, like we, we, we trialed giving a whole box of fruit to a school and kind of just at once to see how that would work. Um, and then they kind of just gave, they were, they were apples. So they were able to kind of give out a bowl full of apples to each classroom and then they would go through those. So that was successful. And then it kind of ebbs and flows over the years too, depending on our, our uh, funding. <clears throat> so at a base level, we're able to provide, you know, Tuesday lunches each week of the school year for our receiving schools and to provide those opportunities for kids to come in and make the lunches weekly as well. When we do have more money, then we kind of talk about, okay, what more can we do? But like one of the, the challenges that we've kind of come to realize is in order to expand, like we're, we're at capacity with, with what we can do on a Tuesday morning with our volunteers, with our students, even as far as timing goes for dropping off lunches for the bus driver, because he's got afternoon runs he has to do. So we're kind of like, we're at capacity. That's so in, in, in order to expand, like we'd essentially have to double our everything. So we would need the community hall for another morning. Um, we'd need the bus driver for another morning. Finding schools, I don't think would be an issue because there's always going to be need and there's always going to be interested teachers who want opportunities like this for their students. But that would mean, you know, twice as much demand on our volunteers as well. So we're, we're very cautious about wanting to thoughtfully, mindfully expand, expand the program. So it's definitely been discussed. And I think like generally since, you know, we started, we're on an upward trend. So at some point I think it would, with more thought and organization, it'll be time to pull the trigger and try and get another day out of the week. But uh, yeah, for now we're, you know, and with this school year being as strange as it is, uh, we're, we're kind of taking a step back to kind of reorganize our, our structure a bit. What's, uh, so you, you yourself personally have been a teacher for many years now. Um, you said you were in sort of that grade five elementary range, and now you're up into high school. With the time of this recording, we're like a week out from back to school. So lots of parents and teachers, and there's a whole bunch of unknowns or what feels like unknowns. Maybe we just haven't been told yet or that kind of thing. But what's sort of your um, advice for, I guess, teachers or parents during this sort of back to school phase with the idea that, you know what, obviously it's going to be different. It's going to look different. There's going to be a different approach. Um, but what would you say about that? I mean, obviously you can't get into. Sure. I, well, I, I guess, yeah, there, there, like you said, Sherry, there's tons of change, but yeah. then there's also the specter of a, of a pandemic and the possibility and the fear of getting sick and what will that mean? And, you know, what will that mean for, for your family? Like, what will that mean for your friends? What, like, as a student coming back, I think, you know, there's a lot of anxiety for teachers. There's a lot of anxiety for parents and a lot of anxiety for students and administrators. And I'm sure up in the school board level, people are definitely uncomfortable with what's going on, but they're doing their best to try and figure out what's the best approach. Um, I talked to a lot of colleagues over the past few days and it seems as though like we're, we're in a little bit of a, a position like everyone is in a position where like we really don't know what to do <laughs> and it's anything is going to be a guess um, as what to do and we can only hope for the best but as far as advice I would say like look at your circle of influence and your circle of control and then things that are out of your control. So everything that is close to you, you can control. You can control how you uh, interact with people close to you. You can control how you, you know, how you're communicating with people. You can control how you treat people. You can't control what the school district is going to mandate. You can't control what the Alberta government is going to mandate. You can't control what other cities and towns and people are going to be doing. So, you know, if you kind of think about yourself as an individual, what's the best thing that you can do for everyone around you, um, which then reflects back on yourself uh, as far as keeping safe and trying to be, you know, cautious and, and uh, conscientious and empathetic of other people. I think that's kind of the best thing that you can do. 
keeping the calm, right? I mean, I think that the amount of times that I've heard, oh my gosh, this is crazy, crazy time, crazy year. And I think that everybody's there. So yeah. you just try not to be a part of that and try and bring everybody back down and be the calm, you know? Because if we're saying, oh my gosh, it's wild out there. It's just, everybody's crazy. It's so emotional. Like, so are you, you know? So you need to be like, okay, am I one of those people that's contributing to the craziness or am I going to yeah. be the, the, help be a part of the calm? And like you said, only controlling what you can in your interactions with people. I mean, it, it is different out there, but we just have to get used to this, you know, the new, the new way of doing things, which in some ways isn't terrible. You know, there's some lessons to be learned here, but some ways we just need to make sure that we're a part of the, the solution and not a part of the, the problem and, and bringing everybody's energy up and anxiety up. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's a very difficult thing to do. <laughs> um, because I can't imagine so being your position. Yeah. A teacher, you know, whose parents are like, the parents are putting their kids into school and they're feeling nervous, which then trickles over. Sure. And yeah. And I mean, you know, it, one of the, the, one of the uh, great things that a lot of school districts are doing, including Edmonton Public and Edmonton Catholic is they've said, look, like, I think, giving parents and students as much agency as you possibly can during this sort of a situation is key and what they've done is said like okay we're we're going into quarter semesters so there's four semesters per year you have the opportunity to choose like do you want your your son or daughter or you know uh, do you want them in school right now so you can choose to do that um, so if you don't want them in for the first quadmester then you can stay at home and there's options for online learning. If you become more comfortable in the second one, they can kind of come back, which is smart because depending on how things go, you know, then parents have the option of, of um, allowing or having their, their, their children attend or not. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you yeah. have children by chance? James? Uh, no, no, we don't. No, no me, uh, neither. <laughs> me yeah. neither. So I feel yeah. like, you know, I'm not part of the, I mean, you're going into school though, and I'm not. So I, but I, I understand from a lot of our friends where some people are just more comfortable. Some kids are really wanting to go back and some yeah. kids are really af afraid to go back, you know? Yeah. And so there's like, there's a lot of, yeah, different um, options out there and people are still unsure of what they're going to do up until, you know, it's only a couple weeks away and people are still, I don't know if we're going to send our kids to school yet. So there is that little bit of, you know, the uncertainty and the un un unknowns for sure. And for teachers, I'm sure you guys don't know, even know what your class sizes are going to be. <laughs> no, not yet. But uh, I know that our, our well, speaking for my admin team here, they're working really diligently to try and make sure. things as uh, uh, safe and equitable as possible for all our students and the staff as well. Cause they, like they, they themselves, I mean, this is like, to be at the helm of a ship in a time like this is ridiculously challenging and they're, they're doing their best too. So, and I'm, I'm sure that, you know, every admin team across the city is doing that too. I, I heard it explained as um, you guys are building, piloting the plane as it's being built really. Right. So it's, it's something that everyone's sort of dealing with for the first time. And so I think that's where that piece of empathy comes in that you were talking about you know, that you take your grade fives through or, or your crew through that come through and do the meals and such. It's like, regardless of what happens, I think that there's just a piece that we all need to just remember that we're doing our best, right? And grace, yeah. Grace right. goes a long way. Yeah. yeah. And as long mm -hmm. as we're, we're looking out for each other and protecting our families and doing all that kind of stuff, honestly, the rest of it is just icing on the cake, really, you know, like the school piece of it and learning and all those things, they're going to come. It's not going to be the same. It's not going to, so everyone's going to want to go back to normal, but the reality is it probably is not never going to be the same normal again. Right. So learning how to just ebb and flow a little bit and be a little more graceful and empathetic. And like Jesse said, not contributing to the, you know, escalating things when they don't be escalated. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I agree. I feel as a, a high level of anxiety that's pervasive across everything mm -hmm. that we do at the moment. Um, so, and it's really easy to get caught up in, in it, but to kind of take, take a minute and take a step back and see if, you know, if you can maybe do things differently. And again, it's ridiculously challenging and I'm not the best at it all the time either, but you know, 
you kind of do your best. <laughs> That's right. Mm -hmm. That's right. Well, I mean, as we know, I think that every parent um, has a whole new appreciation for uh, teachers and, you know, what part they have in their their kids' education. And, you know, I think parents being forced into homeschooling that last little bit, there is that whole, you know, new, yeah, they realize how hard it is to teach and how hard it is to teach their, their kids. So hopefully out of this, there's like a lot more appreciation that comes to, to teachers and and you know what they have to go through every single day and then again just you know you have to go back to work you know you don't have the choice to not go back to work because you've got to teach their kids so hopefully right. you know you guys get a lot of grace from parents during this time i think that what we're going into is you know exactly what you're saying like parents need to get back to work and that's kind of the bottom line like they need they need food they need to be able to pay their bills provide for their families and you know, schools were, you know, they're a way for, for their kids to kind of be in a safe place in order for them to do that, you know. So, yeah, it's, it's important that, you know, the schools are open. <laughs> but again, it's also a cause of, you know, um, a lot of anxiety. So, so for people that are, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that I think parents, regardless of their choices will make the best choice for their family and they'll figure out yeah. as they go anyways. So, you know, there's no really right or wrong or like, and then the, the whole judgment piece just needs to be removed because you'll figure it out. And if someone chooses something differently, that's because that's what's best for them. And that's awesome. Right. Mm -hmm. so. mm -hmm. I was going to say that for anybody who's listening to this right now, what can they do to help you guys um, feed more kids on Tuesdays? <laughs> Well, that's a good question. So what they can do is check out our website, uh, which is bsyfedmonton.org. Yes, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and just kind of like, you can see what our background story is, see why we're doing what we're doing. Um, you can look at the impact it's having on uh, kids, teachers, families. And if it's something that speaks to you, there's a, uh, there's a button at the bottom of the screen or on the website um, that will take you to Canada Helps. And um, it's around $4 or so a lunch. So if you're interested in, in you know, even donating a lunch, we would, uh, we would supremely appreciate any support that we can get to help feed more kids. And, and again, our, our, uh, we're adapting to, uh, to COVID times, um, looking into how we can still use our resources to provide food for kids at school. Um, and we'll have an update about that on our website going into uh, probably September um, or early October, just because we're still trying to figure out the best way to do that. And, and part of that also means, you know, needing to figure out what, what is the school district comfortable with? What is, what are other schools and administrators comfortable with as far as um, us being able to help out their students. So it's a bit of a, a, a little bit more involved in the process, um, but we're, we're working towards getting that underway for our usual start time, which is uh, first week of October. That's so <laughs> admirable because I think the, it never goes away, right? Even though the need never changes. I have a teacher in my house and I hear the, the stories of the fruit bowl and the kid, that's their lifeline basically. So I think what you guys are doing is super, super uh, important. And I, I'm so admiring that you guys are continuing to try and, and operate it through, you know, even these, these times. So it's amazing. Yeah. No, I was saying the teachers are the ones that are going to notice if a kid is, is hungry. You know what mm. I mean? They're the people that notice first if, and um, yeah, I think that that's pretty wonderful what you're doing. And I think that the fact that the students are getting involved in, and it's taking the judgment away from other kids that just are hungry, you know, and I think that's an important lesson to learn at a young age is to really put yourself in other people's shoes and what you guys are doing allows kids to, to do that. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, we are really lucky too that like we're, we have access to directly to teachers and administrators at schools who can see firsthand where the need is. And through, you know, connections that myself and other people on the board have, we're able to reach out directly to schools and, and um, you know, work with them that way. And that's largely how we were able to find schools that were, like I said earlier, that were outside the, uh, what's generally considered 
to be high need schools. Not that they're not, I mean, they are high need schools, but they're more well known, I suppose, because um, they're considered inner city. Um, but, you know, like I said, there, there's need all over the city for this. And they're always, I'm, there always will be. Like it, we, we've talked before on our board too, like we would love to not exist. If between, you know, the province, the city, all these other wonderful organizations that are working to, to, to stop, um, you know, childhood poverty, like all, if, if it worked, we would, we would just love to, <laughs> we would love to stop doing what we were doing. And you got to think during this time, it's probably a need more than that now than ever, right? For some of You're, these families. Yeah, you're right. And then the other thing that kind of is a concern too is like how like accessing families who are in need but you know aren't getting to schools. So mm -hmm. for the last well, from March basically till the end of the school year last year, like you know the, these kids were all at home. Um, the need's still there, but they didn't mm -hmm. have the hub of school to be able to um get a lot of the supports that they needed from from the school and from other organizations too yeah we've talked a lot about that with even some of the other organizations that we work with is just when kids got sent home and all of those the support they were getting how it just ended you know and right. like you know the effects that that's going to have on you know the youth going into this year um and even the food bank like how much they've you know how much more they're putting out th than what they were in the past so the need is certainly there and unfortunately it's you know it's not going to go away and you know I actually remember this was years ago obviously but my my brother must have overheard my mom and my dad talking at one point and he said to his teacher that we are as as poor as church mice <laughs> oh, and man. you know at some point in our you know I think that we probably were at that point not doing uh but so the teacher started bringing food in for my for my brother and then suddenly you know I was getting an apple on my desk because I think I was in kindergarten and he was in grade two but it's amazing like what you're going to get from from kids right when they're they're going to be open and talk to their teachers and it's amazing that the teachers are listening and 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 helping so yeah <laughs> One of the um, questions that we ask all of our guests, James, is about their own personal legacy and, and why they do what they do and, and how they want to be remembered. Oh, um, well, I, I've, for probably the last uh, decade or so teaching, I've kind of looked at the idea of um, intergenerational justice. So I was at a, a talk at the university about that long ago um, that was put on by uh, an elder and she talked about intergenerational justice and like the idea of what are what are you leaving for future generations what are we leaving for them um, how are we supporting them to 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 do better than we've done so and uh, that for me expanded out into specifically into like, how are we treating the earth? Um, like how, how are we treating each other in our community? So that's really kind of been driving um, what I've been doing for the last decade or so. And that's kind of translated into uh, the programming that I've been working on um, with environmental stewardship and horticulture and, and um, school gardens and, and putting in community gardens and looking at food as a way of gathering people and, and creating a sense of community um, while also being able to use like a community garden and, and, and local food production as a means of sort of slowing um, the impacts of climate change and you know there's just so many benefits to it and then from there you know looking at how can we grow food that would then support the, the lunch program so at my first school we actually um, I got uh, some grant money to get um, an aquaponic system, which is a system that uses uh, fish waste to um, grow food. So the fish waste itself is used as fertilizer for lettuce. And so we would grow a whole bunch of lettuce and the kids were in charge of all that. They would harvest it and then take it to the community hall and use that in the lunches. That kind of just expanded that, that idea of the effort um, and the learning and the, the agency that kids had over these lunches. And then um, from there too, um, we ended up getting a, a solar PV system for the roof of the school to help offset that wow. energy. So that became like this whole sort of loop of, you know, we're using renewable resources, renewable energy, I should say, uh, to offset the energy that's being used to grow this food that we're then 
sharing with with uh, people who are in need and that like I guess at the uh, my my goal and and my dream would be to have a piece of land in in the city where we could have all of those things together so using renewables using the idea of net zero and in a building to house systems that are growing food um, to have a food forest to have kids coming in there to look after vegetables look after um, all of this these food sources and then looking at taking all of that and then dispersing it to people around the community who are in need um, so I think that, that that itself like if as far as a legacy like something that I could do um, if I can do that by the end of my my lifetime then um, I will feel tremendously uh, accomplished and I and I have um, you know again there are people who are very interested in this sort of thing um, on 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 our uh, on our board, um, and I've got a lot of there's lots of interest in it. It's just a matter of 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 doing it. And I know that stuff like this has been done, like uh, it's been done before in other um, other places. Like there's a community garden um, up in Northeast Edmonton at an elementary school. Uh, I believe it's Bannerman, and they've got an amazing community garden um, there, which is doing a lot of what I, I really want to have happen at the school here at Queen Elizabeth. Um, so it, it's, uh, it's really inspiring to, to see what they're doing and then to hear what people around um, the rest of the province are doing. Like there are a lot of, uh, a lot of teachers in Calgary, Lacombe um, that are, uh, you know, concentrating on, on trying to get a lot of this type of programming um, into their schools and they're quite successful. So they're doing amazing things, which is tremendously inspiring. So um, that's, that's where I would like to kind of, kind of see myself going. That's awesome. That's awesome. I think more and more people are going back to that, right? Just with everything that was going on, more people are like, Oh, maybe we should plant a garden this year. Maybe we should plant yeah some plant you know and so people are kind of getting back to that or becoming more aware of that so it's incredible to see that sort of full circle of planting the seeds to actually like feeding the you know the youth that that want that need the the support so right. i think that's their incredible their mind yeah oh totally, yeah. totally. Right. Yeah. and and also you know getting trying to get the community more involved because schools are big you know, um, they're, 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 they're big pieces of land and there's a lot of field. So there's a lot of roof real estate as well. So it makes mm. sense. I know like the, the public school board has uh, a plan to get solar on the roofs of a lot of schools. Um, and I think that there's a lot of opportunity to um, also use the land around schools. And there are a lot of schools that have community gardens, which is, or school gardens at the very least, um, which is fantastic. And there are more of them that are popping up each year. Um, but I think that's going to be a key. Like if you, I, if you look at a city like Detroit, which essentially collapsed, um, what rose out of the rubble of all of that were tons and tons of community gardens that are bringing people from community, like from blocks together on, on abandoned spaces to turn these into, uh, you know, to, to productive um, land for growing food for each other. And that's how that community kind of builds and comes together. So, you know, I don't think we need an economic collapse to, to make that happen here. I think like Alberta is tremendously well off and and i think that the resources exist to make that kind of thing happen here um there are a lot of we should talk to the city we should talk to the city about blatchford mm -hmm. <laughs> right because right? they've got they've got all that and that's what they're all about and i'm drinking out of a blatchford mug and right. so mm -hmm. just, just thinking just thinking about it is they've owned all that land they should be doing something with it in the meantime while it's being developed you know right yeah, and and uh, yeah, I mean that, and, and school land, and there's all sorts of, um, I don't know. I think it just it requires a, a a greater shift in in priorities. I think away from profit um, and more into communities and and uh, thinking about you know again back to the idea of intergenerational justice. Like, is what am I doing that's going to be um, beneficial to future generations and how am I, how am I empowering them? How am I giving them agency over their future? 
I, I love it. Yeah, I, I know me it. too. And I think when you teach kids about growing food and you see all the energy and effort going into it, there might be less waste too. You know, they're, they're less inclined to like throw away a salad or throw away an apple after they had two bites when they've actually seen it grow from the seed into the actual, you know, thing that you're eating. I think that if you've partaked in the process, then waste wasting food isn't going to be as much of an option. Sure. Yeah, that's true as well. I mean, if you put energy and, and effort into something, you're more likely to take care of it, you know, and that kind of expands out to you to uh, appreciating the environment around you and appreciating, um, you know, um, plants and animals. Um, and, you know, as far as biting an apple and then throwing it out, sometimes they're just gross, but you can, you can, you can compost those like, um, you know, there's a number of ways you can do that. So even worm composting is amazing and mm -hmm. so is regular composting in your yard so there's a lot of options um like it, that's the other thing too that's kind of um amazing is that everything's not black and white right like there 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 are like you can look at a problem and and kind of think of it in terms of an opportunity so like mm -hmm. if you have a rotten apple you can cut it up feed it to some worms and then they'll turn it into fertilizer for you for for growing more food and then that way too you're not losing all of the nutrients and stuff that are in that apple that's not going out to a landfill you're keeping that close to you and you're keeping that um on on your wherever it is that you're growing close to your house i gotta say it must be awesome to be in your class because you're so knowledgeable and you can tell just by the way you're talking how passionate you are about this topic so your students must just love it um so thank you for being here with us and spending this time with us i know that um you're a teacher so you got stuff you need to do before you need to get back to school <laughs> yeah so we really appreciate all that you guys are doing and um and for you taking the time to to sit with us today and have this chat. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks very much for having me. Um, I appreciate the opportunity to kind of talk about what, uh, what we're doing. And, and I think it's amazing too, like, in, you know, that, that you have this podcast that's highlighting positive things that are happening in the community. Um, so I think that there needs to be more, more focus on, on positivity and community building and, and volunteerism um, as a way of kind of, building up what we were talking about before building up the positivity and kind of countering all the anxiety that's that's pervasive right now so thank you if you were inspired by our show please take a moment to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen and share with friends you can always find show notes at loveyegshow.ca keep listening 